1: Hey everybody, it's another episode of the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. We're talking live now after a 4-0 win, the Ducks closing out the Calgary Flames. It was what a rather lackluster performance by both teams. Um, Eddie, this game was not all that we cracked it up to be in last show. I really thought we were going to see some physicality, some speed, some anger, some playoff hockey, and we saw absolutely none of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, we expected this to be a physical game, too. We talked about how it was surprising that that game against Detroit was so physical and there were so many fights, and that we got this game against Calgary coming up, and it's always a, a really feisty, nasty game. Saw none of that, and not only did we not see any of that, there really wasn't much of anything going on for the Ducks. It was probably the weirdest... 4 nothing win i think i've ever really seen them have
1: it was hard to stay awake um, yeah. <laughs> i'm glad we got the points so i'm just being brutally honest that game is just i was like all right come on there's got to be some movement here in this next period but the ducks just kept finding ways to score as we'll get into here when we get into the first period but of course we have to get to our pre-game notes john gibson making the start who else against mike smith um, of course, no Josh Manson. As we have not heard any details as to what the injury is other than he's out. Um, Holzer was called up. Pedersen is in. He's playing alongside Hampus Lindholm, which was a pleasant surprise of a pairing the way that worked out. JT Brown, Antoine Vermette out, as well as Kevin Bieksa also out with surgery. Um, this was a must win for the Flames, and I kind of felt like it was a must win for the Ducks because it's those kinds of points you have to pick up, and they did. And it was important to them because they ended up leapfrogging, leapfrogging rather, the Kings in the Pacific Division standings. Eddie, let's go ahead and get this started and get the game on the road.
2: To get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. Perry, scores! Corey Perry! Well, able to shake away from It's skip away the... It kind of feels like now we're a streaky show, I guess. I mean, what, we we started 3-0, then lost three in a row, and now we've won four in a row as part of the show. Uh, I hope it, it, it continues. Yeah, I mean, I hope it continues. I, I, I don't want to go on another losing streak, though, that's for sure.
1: No, you can't afford that right now, especially with Winnipeg coming up here on Friday. But uh, getting involved in this first period... It was just, you're going to hear everyone listening, this has just been the story of this game where the Flames just found ways to control the puck and clog up any chances for the Ducks. Um, I mean, I found myself writing notes over and over again, Flames with chances, early chances. But the, the thing about them is they were far and few in between where they were like grade A scoring chances. They had a few. Gibby had to be pretty good, but he didn't have to be his, his Vesna form. As uh, we'll get to later in the show, their interview with Paul Campbell, which we have plenty to talk about there. So try not to give Gibby too much love because we have a, a great interview coming up here in the, at the end of the show. But um, I mean, is that how you felt too? I felt like in this first period especially, uh, there was one chance where Getz turn, Getzloff turns the puck over and Lazar had a point blank chance against Gibby. But uh, other than that, for the Flames, I just felt like they couldn't get uh, enough chances on John Gibson.
2: Yeah, I, I mean it was uh, like I had said earlier, it's the weirdest four nothing win that the Ducks have had, and Gibson didn't really have to do a ton. I mean, at least in the first period, I think it, his workload got a little bit more difficult throughout the game, but in the first period there wasn't much of anything going on. You know, the, the, the uh, Flames shot the Ducks eleven to five, but the only real chance was the one that you said where Getzloff... Had a turnover. I think it hit staging. I'd have to double check it because I hit the I,
1: skates I, and and, ca- and free. Yeah, yeah.
2: I want to because I don't want to say it, it's it's off turnover a hundred percent because he rarely makes those types of plays. So I'll give it a, a, a little bit of, uh, of credit that it hits off stage and it goes right to Lazar. But eh, Gibby has to be strong early, and, and it was a good save.
1: And You know what? It wasn't um, it wasn't Bieska esque as, yeah. as we've talked about before back when they played Detroit as we always like to refer you back to. Play. And that was me bringing it back out this time. <laughs> uh, but, you know, let's talk about the most impressive part of this period, and that was Andrew Cogliano with a shorthanded goal, gets Loff and Cogliano all over the flames in their own end. Puck uh, basically squirts free to cogs. He walks it out in front of Smith, does a little blade uh, blade faker there with the puck gets uh, gets Mike Smith to freeze, Outweights him, roofs it, it's one nothing it's a shorthanded goal it's his third of the season his 16th as a duck which ties him with paul correa for the all-time franchise lead
2: yeah and, and i mean he's been doing this a lot lately i think this is what his third shorthanded goal of the season yep. and he seems to just make an impact in the last few games where if he's not scoring on the uh, on the penalty kill he's at least getting a chance or he's getting a breakaway and he's really become a threat for the ducks on the penalty kill, and he's been that kind of guy throughout his entire career, but it was nice to see him get on the board because up to this point, the Ducks really had nothing going on and this was the only chance they had, and it was really all Cogliano on this play putting the pressure on Dougie Hamilton winning the puck, and making a nice move to Wade Smith and putting it in.
1: Uh, It's absolutely all that happened in this period for the Ducks. Like There was nothing going. (laughs) They finished the period, like you said a moment ago, with only five shots. One of them went in they take that one nothing lead into the first intermission. Getting started here in the second period. Uh, this is where the Flames got some more chances. As you said, the workload for Gibson would come up. Um, he had to, yeah, he had to get some things going. But I, have, I still feel like it wasn't like he had to make these crazy toe saves, glove saves, like he's been uh, showing us, um, basically in his last like, two months of play. But uh, it, you know, good on the Flames because what they were doing here is, is not letting the Ducks generate. Anything. There was literally nothing going on. In fact, at one point, the Ducks had gone almost 12 minutes, I believe, without a shot on goal in yeah, the it was, second it was period, dating all the way back to Cagliano's goal from the first period. But then another thing would happen. Andre Kasha gets up on the scoring. A stretch pass from not Getzloff, not Perry, not not Lindholm. <laughs> but Go through Bocheman. the whole list
2: until you get Bocheman. to him.
1: The only player, person that I would have been more surprised about if it was uh, if it was Holzer in this game. But Boeschman with a great pass to Kasha. He's blazing in on Smith while being hounded. Throws on the brakes. Cuts back on the backhand. Little spinorama right through the five hole on Smith. Kind of surprised him, I felt like. And all of a sudden, now it's 2 nothing in.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a great individual es- effort from Kasha. I'm not going to take anything away from him on that one. But Mike Smith definitely would want this goal back. Kasha doesn't get a lot on it, and he's falling down, too, when he takes the shot, and it kind of just squeaks five-hole. And like you said, Mike Smith just he wasn't ready, but I don't know how he wasn't really ready for a shot. you got to be ready for anything, especially when, when Kasha has the puck that close. But, hey, uh, Kasha with a great individual effort. And, again, the Ducks kind of get a goal from nothing. Like you said, they had gone over 11 minutes without a shot on goal. And then it's a Boschman stretch pass to Kasha, for a spin around a backhand, something I don't think we'll ever hear again from the Ducks.
1: No, and you know the strange thing about this game is we go right back after that play. The Mm -hmm. Flames start controlling the play again. Ducks are on top. Flames are controlling the play. Not able to generate anything against Mike Smith until, again, the Ducks get some puck luck here, though. The puck hits a linesman on a Calgary clear. Gessler picks up the puck along the half wall, sends it all the way across to Raquel, who just just puts it up on a beautiful tee for Hampus Lindholm, my boy, trailing in from the blue line with just an absolute bomb. It's 3 nothing Ducks, 3 goals and 11 shots. That tells you the story of Mike Smith's night. Um, not a good showing for him, but what a shot by Hampus on this. Beautiful setup there by Getz and Raquel on the play.
2: Yeah, and, and I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but it, it was a great shot by Lindholm, and it was a bomb, but – you got to feel on this one as well, this was a goal that Mike Smith would want back again. I mean, there was no screen in front of him. He's just going the wrong way. And he tries to correct himself, but he can't get back to his right. Uh, and it goes right by him. And this was really the story of the game for Mike Smith, where the Calgary in front of him controlled the game and played a very strong game, but he couldn't stop anything. He couldn't stop a beach ball tonight. Everything was going in on him. Every shot or consistent uh, quality chance that the Ducks had was going in the back of the net, which, I mean, is great for us, and it's great for the postgame show, but it's a uh, definitely a disappointing night for Mike Smith.
1: I mean, anytime I can talk about Hampus Lindholm and scoring, I believe that was his 11th on the season. I just need him to tick that up to, like, 15 or 16 to be right there with yeah. Dougie Hamilton for the league lead for, for defensemen for the goals. And um, then I can start like warming everyone back up to that uh that Norse trophy talk, right? Where he's way on the outside to everyone else there right now but me. Um,
2: <laughs> we <laughs> had a show dedicated, dedicated to that, so
1: Oh yeah, no, I got text after that saying, like, yo, come on, Pat, like really you're gonna say <laughs> <sing> Little. <laughs> but no, I don't want to jump too far down that rabbit hole again. The ducks get out of that period, three nothing, shots twelve to six in that period, twenty three to eleven, flames lead the shot count. Um that would be the end of the night for Mike Smith, and as you were saying, that he was slow to react to the Kasha, the Kasha goal, slow to react to the Lindholm goal. I mean, maybe just an off night. I mean, I guess for him, but I mean, he, you can't afford to have those when you're the Flames. And I mean, this game, as it would prove to at the end, but being a four nothing victory, that it was, this is might be the final nail in the coffin for the Flames. They've totally fallen off. Yeah. Um, so this was just a very lackluster game for their uh, their squad. You know, at a time when they really needed them. But uh, so Riddich will get to start the third for Smith. Uh, Flames control the play. Just can't find the back of the net. I think the biggest chance that I was able to see in this this third period that I was uh, trying to keep my eyelids open for was uh, Johnny Hockey with a breakaway in on Gibby. Gibby makes the save. And I just wrote after that. They can't get anything by him. I mean, the chances they're getting, Gibson's just been solid. Um, They tried to get in on him, too, a couple of plays throughout this game where they thought they would crash the net and create havoc. Ducks weren't having any of it. There was no rough stuff. Um, I was just I mean, what more can you say about this game? I mean, Gibson no. played played <laughs> well when he had to, and yeah. the Ducks were very opportunistic.
2: It was a boring game, as you've already said, but I'll take a boring game anytime the Ducks can win and especially win four-nothing. And it was it was the perfect storyline for this show, with John Gibson coming out and getting his fourth shutout of the season. And, of course, this show is all centered around our interview with Paul Campbell and how we all kind of believe John Gibson should be in the discussion for the Vesna. and he picks the perfect night to come out and have a strong game uh, and get the shadow win.
1: No, it's true. So now we had, cannot end the show without talking about Boschman. because yeah. Boschman gets on the board to wrap up the scoring. A bomb from the blue line on a perfectly timed screen from a card, Raquel dragging the defenseman along in front of riddich as well and he had no chance to see it bosch puts one on the board four nothing that's a wrap ducks win four nothing gibby's fourth shutout of the season and the ducks fourth in a row so four 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 whatever you want to call it good luck matching numbers i'll take it um any sort of momentum going into winnipeg on friday the ducks absolutely needed um I mean I know we're gonna talk about Gibby here in the uh, in the post game interview we have with Paul, but like you said, what a night to set it up. John Gibson's up to a nine two seven save percentage on this season. He's stopped ninety four percent of the shots he's faced in fifteen starts since February first. So he's at a nine forty save percentage since February first. That's incredible. Anaheim Ducks fans, I don't want to see any more posts in Ducks Nation or <laughs> Anaheim Ducks fans for life. I don't want to hear anybody bashing Gibby in those forums saying, where's Freddie, where's this, where's that, you know, Gibson's this or that. It's like this guy's carried the team the whole way, and it's you really can't say anything else that hasn't already been said in a positive note about him this season. I mean, my, his injury, sure, but, I mean, a, a lot of that stuff wasn't his
2: fault. Um, just a hell of a season. It's still going to happen. I, I mean, the next time he has a bad game or gets injured, the Freddie talk's going to come out. It always does, no matter what. I mean, he could, he could. I don't think he will, but he could win the Vesna this year and next year. The first bad game he has, Freddie Anderson's name is going to come out. You know it is. It's it's of course. No, it's never going to go away. It and it's unfortunate. And I love Freddie and I love Gibby, but I feel like no matter what John Gibson does, there's always going to be that underlying love for Freddie Anderson. And uh, any bad game or any injury that that Gibby gets, he's going to come out.
1: It's horrible. I, I hate seeing it. I always laugh, though, whenever I go on there. There's like a million trolls just going after people about it. It's great. Um, I've been I've been swayed to make comments sometimes. I've fallen for the troll bait before. <laughs> but um, what have. do you say? Do you want to go ahead and, uh, and get to this interview with Paul Campbell that I'm sure everyone's been waiting to hear? He talks a lot of good stuff. We talk about John Quick um, and his comparison. We talk about Freddie and Gibby. We put uh, Paul on the spot there. He's our goaltending expert on the show. So it was great to have him on as our first guest, and uh, I think you guys will like it. But uh, we'll come back after the interview, and we'll take care of your guys' questions and uh, look ahead to Winnipeg. Hey, everybody. I want to welcome in our first guest on the Forever Mighty Post Game Show. We're here with writer Paul Campbell. He's a writer for Ngold Magazine, a contributor on Sportsnet, The Athletic, as well as the Sporting News. Paul, thanks for joining us today. How's it going?
3: Uh, it's going great. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, we've been uh, reading about all your talk about John Gibson, and we, you know, Eddie had brought it up to me. It's like you're the perfect person to have on the show to talk goalies and to give us your take on what Gibby's done this season.
3: Yeah, I'm. I couldn't be happier. I'm um, basically. I looked at some numbers the other day, and uh, not even advanced stats necessarily, but just basic goaltending stats, and uh, noticed that John Gibson is right up there with the front runner, So, with regard to save percentage, uh, which is really the the bread and butter, basic statistic that you know people are going to look at to evaluate the diversa and so I, I looked a bit deeper i just found that um gibson's having a quietly i guess um to, to some people uh, a quietly very very good season even by his standards which are which are already pretty
1: good yeah no i would have to agree with that that's something that a lot of ducks fans have been talking about unless he loses and of course the ducks you know forums go crazy and, and ask why we don't uh <laughs> start miller or start Freddie on another you know traded for uh Try to give you away and kept Freddie, but that's for a conversation later i got to get to you on um, just to kind of fill people in we have some people that don't really pay attention to analytics and um i kind of just wanted to get your take on of all the fancy stats is there anything that uh, you would recommend people go to first when looking at a goaltender is it or is it just regular save percentage
3: well um it depends so if you're looking to get um a short list of who's going to be nominated um who's going to um, you know, garner one of the top three voting spots for the Vesna Trophy, uh, then that's going to be looking at basic save percentage. Um, so if a goalie you know gets over uh, 55 starts in a season, give or take, and has a really high save percentage, somewhere around um, 93%, then that person is going to be considered. Um, and there, there are other mitigating factors, but that's important. Now, if you want to dig a little deeper, um, you can go to a, a, a site like Corsica, uh, Corsica Hockey. Just um, Google it. It's, it. it's the first thing that comes up and um, they have really in-depth goalie statistics that go far beyond a basic save percentage. Um, Hockey Reference is another good site. They don't have the same kind of um, uh, sophistication with regard to goalie stats, but um, it's, a new, it's a very thorough. Uh, it's compendious. Uh, it has goalie uh, historical goalie stats and, and uh, all the contemporary goalie stats you'd ever want.
2: Yeah, and we, we did so, a little bit of digging beforehand here on Corsica, we we pulled out a couple of things that you had mentioned them too on Twitter when uh, we had looked at this before but talking about how his raw save percentage as of right now sits second only to Renee. his delta save percentage sits second only behind Bobrovsky and just in front of Renee. his goals saved yep. above average is second behind Bobrovsky and Renee. I, I mean he should be getting more consideration but I feel like it's maybe because of the wins maybe because of the goals against average just a little bit lower than those guys
3: yeah, um I did a study a couple of years ago for an Ingle magazine and I looked at um, the factors that predicted a Vesna win best. Uh, and these weren't necessarily the statistics that show who the best goalie is, but they are the stats that most reliably predict who the voters are going to vote for. And the voters are the general managers for um, each of the teams. So there will be 30, depending on what happens in uh, some markets, but 30 or 31 uh, GMs, however many there are at the time of the vote. And, they're each going to get to vote, and they look at, or at least um, looking at the statistics that we have, they look at wins as a very important factor. So mm. the year Braden Holby won, um, he didn't have a particularly great save percentage that year. Um, and his safety stats were good, but they, they weren't fantastic. However, when you tie the record for most wins in a season, um, that matters. I mean, general managers need to win, right? It's a very yeah. understandable statistic. And so if a guy's done it that many times in the season, regardless of how good that team was, and that was a great team. Um, he's going to get an enormous amount of credit. Uh, and, and that was working against Gibson uh, this season because uh, Vasilevsky has 40 wins and he leads everyone. Renee's right behind him. Yeah. Uh, Anderson and Hellebuck, right. Both have a, a lot of wins and have had great seasons, great save percentages and so on. And so um, the fact that Gibson is uh, on a bubble team at, the, at this moment, um, if he doesn't make the playoffs, all bets are off. uh only one goalie in the history of the vesna of uh, the modern Vesna has ever been voted uh into you know as the vesna winner with uh, a non playoff team and that was Bobrovsky in the in the strike shortened year uh, his team missed the playoffs by one point yeah so basically um it's it, just like people are talking about the heart right now and how if uh Taylor Hall doesn't make the playoffs, then you know is okay. that it, should he even get any votes right. Uh, I mean, uh, with goalies, it's basically the same deal, except there's been one exception. So if uh, the Ducks don't manage to make it in, then uh, then Gibson's not going to get is, not gonna be considered. But already that's working against him.
1: Do you feel like anything has to do with brand name, per se? Like when someone hears a Lundquist, a Price, a Holby, those guys get passes a lot of time for slumping uh, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Maybe just because it's East Coast biases us out here in California like to talk about a bunch. Um, maybe the viewership isn't that high on when Gibson plays. Do you think that has anything to do with it? Because everyone still feels like Price is at the top of this game, but I'm just not so sure if maybe he had a couple of great seasons, but he still has that name recognition.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, once your brand and you know inflates beyond any goalie's ability to you know reliably repeat that performance, uh, then th- you're going to be considered even in years when you know you're not you're not stellar, right? You're you're not elite in that season, so a guy like Pekka um, has been consistently voted uh, and considered. And he makes lists as you know, the top goaltender, one of the top, one of the elite goaltenders in the NHL. Um, and because of injury, and there, there are many factors, but he spent a few seasons well out of uh, that discussion. But uh, the time that he put in and the, the recognition that he did get uh, elevated him to a point where people still considered him to be that goalie he was rather than looking at the goaltender uh, that he had become. Now, He's, he's made a, a superb uh, turnaround over about you know a season and a half. He's do, he's, he's, he's apparently very healthy, uh, and he, he's doing great. He has fewer starts than usual, and so no credit taken away from him. But for a few years there, he was relying on name recognition uh, to, to make these lists and to, to be recognized as he was.
1: It's interesting that you compared it to the heart, because that's exactly what I was going to say for goaltenders. It's kind of like all that talk. People are throwing out names like McKinnon or throwing out you know taylor hall but i mean obviously i would feel like the mainstream frontrunner there is kucherov and i know we're talking goalies but that's he's the point leader he was the uh, the guy from the beginning had like a monster beginning of the season and, and that obviously carried over from last season so mm-hmm. i totally understand where you're coming from in that argument um another question i've got for you is just one that i love to argue with all my buddies out here because half of them are king's fans i've been mm-hmm. very critical of jonathan quick um, I think he has the ability to make those highlight real saves, and I just love telling everybody that's just because he's out of position. He's he's very athletic, and I feel like you know he relies a lot on that over positioning. And he played mm-hmm. in the defense first system under Sutter. Is that a fair take mm-hmm. for me, or or am I undervaluing Quick? I just kind of want to put a stamp on that from an expert.
3: No, Twitter and even goalie Twitter um, has been split down the middle about Jonathan Quick uh, forever uh, through almost his entire career. Um, Jonathan Quick has. A set of uh, skills. It, he does things that there aren't names for. Uh, I'll be watching video and you know, someone will point it out, a goalie coach will point out and say, what's this? And I'll say, no one's ever done that. Or, you know, people have done it, but um, <laughs> it's never, uh, there's not a name for it because it's not something that generally happens, but his feet will just do the thing for him in the situation uh, and it ends up being the appropriate thing. So, I mean, um, he's a gifted elite athlete, maybe and I've said this before, maybe the most athletic goaltender, uh, truly purely athletic goaltender uh, in, in the modern era. I, I, I don't know if anyone compares. However, um, he, uh, and he's, he's backed it up a bit, but he's played a lot of his career um, well outside the blue paint. And this is an era when goaltenders are coming back. A right? guy like, like Lundqvist has had incredible consistency and success um, playing you know, with his butt on the goal line. Right and uh, you know, taking uh, being very conservative with his depth, uh, and a lot of goalies are making the same move, you know, backing up, and they're able to cover more net, more reliably and more consistent, uh, more consistently, uh, able to take advantage of their size. Um, but quick playing on that Kings team that, that suffocates the uh, the backdoor pass, he's been able to play, you know, really far out of his crease, and on a lateral pass when one does get through, what happens is when you're way out of the crease. You have an incredibly far distance to go. So you can't just do um, a regular butterfly slide uh, to get there. You have to slide. You have to have an incredible push. Then you have to have a split, right, in order to get a hand or a foot on the puck. So uh, not taking anything away from quick, but those highlight saves that you see, you know, especially in years past when he was playing really, really far out, uh, another goaltender might have been hit in in the arm, in the elbow, right, instead of at the very tip of the blocker. Uh, you, know, you know. credit to him, he's making those saves, right? It, it, it's an athletic feat, but uh, sometimes those saves are because of the kind of position that he's chosen to play. He's not necessarily out of position. He's where he wants to be, but that decision that he's made to play there is what resulted in his need to make that kind of save.
2: Yeah.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
2: I've, I've got a little bit of a hot take here, I think, for, for Ducks fans and Kings fans, but looking at Quick and Gibson this season... Uh, if you look at the current point pace for their teams, the Kings, at the time this chart was made, were on a point pace for twelfth. The Ducks were fifteenth with Gibson and mm-hmm. Quick. Uh, without Quick, uh, L.A. would have been on a twenty-three uh, on pace for twenty-third. Anaheim would have been on pace for twenty-six. Who do you think is more valuable to their team at this point? Oh, well, tough question. Yeah, I think uh, I don't know.
3: If you ask me, what goalie I'd rather have going forward, or um, it's, a, it's a tough question. You know, I'm just looking at some numbers right now, and I'm looking at the um, expected save percentage for um, both Quick and Gibson. So mm-hmm. basically, uh, that's a, a number that tells you, given the kinds of shots they face, basically, uh, which goalie has it harder? Um, who's expected to have a higher save percentage? And, and in this case, that's Quick, uh, which indicates to me that he's had a somewhat easier time um, you know, behind LA's defense, as, as you might expect. Uh, than Gibson has had. So at this point, looking at the numbers, and uh, I'd like to keep it as objective as possible, um, I'd give that to Gibson on the basis of that and on the basis of uh, what I know about um, you know, the Ducks' décor, um, which, which hasn't been bad, but um, which is different from LA's and has, and has been different uh, for a while. LA plays a, a very specific kind of game with the kind of uh, defensive system that they employ. So I'd say uh, Gibson, uh, to answer your question, because Quick has a somewhat easier time uh, behind LA.
1: See, there you go. That's what everyone wanted to hear. Yeah,
3: making the <laughs> fans to listen off, to right? us. That's what they wanted
1: to hear. <laughs> to kind of top off the my question segments is is uh, this has been an argument that we've had with uh, with fans and I, we've discussed with other writers as well. But uh, can you settle the long time argument between Ducks fans and John Gibson and Freddie Anderson? Do you feel like Bob Murray made the correct decision there, in offloading uh, Anderson over Gibson?
3: That's that's. That's the most difficult question in hockey. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 do, do you make Ducks fans angry on a, on a Ducks podcast? Do you make Leafs fans angry you know, in, the, in, the, in the NHL? I mean, it's, it's a really risky question to answer. But I'll, I'll, um, I love Freddie Anderson. Um, if you delete a single month from Anderson's last two seasons with the Leafs, and it's been, it's been I believe, um, uh, October both times. Terrible October. Uh, and then... Um, if you if you just took that away, uh, he would be in the running for the best of probably the last two seasons, certainly even more this season if that were the case. Um, Anderson has this nicely tuned technical game that he's that he's worked on since he's got to Toronto, had, had a bump in the road, tried something a little different, it didn't work, uh, then, then sort of sort of back to being a solid uh, technical goalie. And then you have Gibson, who is in some ways the, the polar opposite, whose technical game isn't as uh, isn't as sharp and refined, but whose athleticism, uh, whose instinct, uh, uh, who, who's, uh, whose power is uh, is remarkable. Um, based on results, and based on the teams that they've played for, with those results, I think Gibson was the guy to keep. Um, and uh, I, 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 it's difficult to argue that uh, from where I'm sitting right now if someone's paying attention. So I think Toronto did great. They got a very solid goaltender. Uh, um, I think Gibson... Is uh, a better choice to keep going forward, uh, and I think he was he was he was sort of touted as the guy, and he's proved it uh, at at every juncture that that he was the right guy to keep. So, no one lost, but um, I think I think Gibson was the one. I I also would have kept Gibson if, if I were making the decision at the time. Yeah,
2: thanks I, for taking the hard question <laughs> there. Yeah, I, I think it's a tough one because, like you said, you're making some people happy with that answer, then you're making some people upset uh, on the other <laughs> side, and that I mean that's been an issue in the Ducks community since the trade, it still continues to be an issue. Anytime Gibson has a bad night, the Freddie fans come out of the woodwork uh, and they get pretty offended. But on the topic of Gibson, of course, we had a question from Kyle on, on Twitter because he knew that you were coming in today. He wanted to know if Gibson is just scratching the surface of his potential or is he kind of at his ceiling? Now, I know that's crazy for a 24-year-old, but do you think mm-hmm. he has more to give?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, these are... These are these are tough questions because of uh, questions around team, questions yeah. around goalie development, and especially questions about uh, either a willingness or resistance to change your game. Now, I'm going to use Hellebuck as an example. So Hellebuck's a young guy, right? He's not, uh, you know, he's on a grizzled bat, He's only been a starter for a couple of seasons. Last year, his first big year as a starter, didn't go very well. Um, he um, he sort of sputtered. Um, uh, did poorly enough that management went out and signed another relatively uh, big-name goaltender to uh, challenge him in Winnipeg. Now, Hellebuck took this very seriously. He said, I need to remake things. I need to change the way I train. I need to change the way that I stop pucks. Uh, the changes he made to his style are, are some of the biggest I've seen a goaltender make in an offseason, and, and they've paid incredible dividends this year, so that we're talking about Hellebuck's Bessna, uh, possibilities. Whereas last year, people were talking about whether he'd be Playing goal for the Moose this year, potentially, right? Or, or, or yeah. at the very really least, backing up at the NHL. And so people are quick to write off a, a goalie uh, based on a very small sample size. Gibson is in, is in the opposite direction. Gibson has had nothing but success. Like, look at his, um, even just looking at save percentage, right? Um, which is a rough stat, but goodness, he's kept it very high, um, you know, in the elite range for the last two seasons when he's been starter. And even before then, when he started a lot more sporadically, he'd never been below league average or maybe like a single point below league average, which is a remarkable thing for someone that young. So, um, he has all the talents in the world and to wonder whether or not he's reached his potential. Well, he's doing great now. Yeah. So you can't say he's just scratching the surface because he's doing great. And if he were just scratching the surface, we're looking at, you know, a Dominic Hasek type guy who's going to get better <laughs> and better and better for the next five years, right. And then dominate the league. I will say this though. Um, Gibson's not motivated right now, I don't think. I mean, why would he be? Yeah. To change what's not broken. So, if there are little weaknesses in his game, or, you know, bigger changes that he can make, right, um, he's not going to rebuild um, the way he plays goal, because there's no motivation for him to do that. Um, if he has a season, like Hellebuck had, uh, you know, maybe next season, I mean, God forbid, Yeah. Uh, Gibson, you know, he gets burned, all his weaknesses get exposed, and he gets burned on, then he might be motivated to, to retool this game to make it even better, right? But it, it's a rare thing. So yeah. I think what you see from John Gibson right now is what you get. And the hope is, as he ages and as his athleticism, uh, and it, always, it has to happen, as his athleticism diminishes, is he going to put the work in to revise his game so that he can play into his 30s as well as he did when he was in his 20s? Mm-hmm. That's a possibility. So I think expecting more from John Gibson at this point Um, it's unrealistic. I mean, he's he's given a lot, and he is an incredible tool tool set. But to um, imagine him maintaining the success throughout his career depends on what he's going to do when he loses a step.
2: Yeah, and and the key thing, I think, to remember, too, is he's still 24. I mean, there's plenty of time to figure out if if he's going to be this type of guy for the rest of his career, if we're going to, like you said, see any of his weaknesses exposed in the coming seasons. But looking at another young goaltender right now who was considered the favorite for the Vesna at the mid-season rankings, has now kind of fallen off. Where do you see Vasilevsky in the position for the Vesna right now? Do you think he's still a favorite just because of those mid-season rankings, or has he kind of fallen out of the picture?
3: Well, I thought of this when you talked to Um There's an anchoring effect, I think, that happens when a guy is touted at the first quarter, at the half, at the three-quarter mark, as the person to beat. And people who are voting, right, uh, I mean, as anyone you know, as anyone who is voting for anything does, you sort of see a trend, um, and it, it, it seems like uh, there's momentum. Even though there's no momentum, I mean, it was just a bunch of people's opinions at different times. But it seems like there's momentum, and that carries forward uh, to, to the end of the season sometimes. So you'll see guys get votes. Uh, the, the other year, I forgot was the last few of the year before, but Dubnik had a really strong yes. start to the season. We thought, oh, you're probably going to win the Vesna. And then petered off. Really petered off to the point where um, he shouldn't have been in the conversation. Nevertheless, he still received a lot of votes, even though he wasn't in the top three. Uh, and I think you you're going to see that with uh, the heart this year. I think Kutrap is is going to do very well if he doesn't win. Uh, and I think you're seeing that with Vasilevsky as well, who had an incredible beginning to the season, um, won so many games it looked like he might, you know, challenge for a you know a 48 win season, a tie record, or at least a 45 win season. He's petered off so much, though. I mean, relatively speaking, uh, over the last stretch, that um, I think he's out of the top spot. Although I still think that he's going to garner, because of his wins, because he has seven shutouts, which leads the league tied with Rene. I think he's probably still going to finish second uh, in the voting.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean that makes sense. I, I feel like because of his play at the midseason, at the midseason point, he's going to get a lot of credit for what he had done up to that point. Before we get in to your three finalists. I got to ask you because you've done a lot of work on Carey Price. What has happened to Carey Price this season? I know Montreal as a team has just been awful, but is this just a one off for Carey Price and it's more so team oriented than individual, or is there something else going on?
3: Uh, A few things. So um, we'll focus on um, him first and then the team after it. I think initially he was looking like he was uh, just not himself pretty much from the start of the season. And that can happen. I mean, you could you could sputter out of the gate. I, I think it was last season. The Canadians went on a, a tear to begin the season. But his numbers were really pedestrian. Um, he had a bit of a lull uh, in, the, in the winter. And then uh, come January, he was back on top again and, and managed to uh, have a – it wasn't a Vesna worthy season. But he, he managed to put himself in the conversation, sort of. This season, he started off poorly. The team also started off uh, poorly. So they were not putting up the massive number of goals they were last year. And things sort of went downhill from there. He looked, um, he didn't have the crispness and power that you're used to seeing in his game. He didn't have the uh, technical fineness that you're used to seeing in his game. Um, He looked tired. And uh, as it turns out, um, he uh, was uh, on the IR for a long time early in the season. And uh, they talked about um, he had fatigue. I mean, it was was sort of a a clinical matter of uh, being chronically fatigued and, that that's what that's how he was playing. He was playing like a guy who was yeah. just totally um, unable to do the things that he knows his body can do because because of that. Um, so that was you know that was early. Then injury later. And um, turning to the team, the team has been uh, early in the season. It was random. So it seemed like three defenders were standing around. A puck would hit two of them and go in the net. Um, Price would be slightly off angle. A puck would hit the post and go in. Um so it seemed unlucky, but the mm. de- defense corps uh in Montreal early in the season was it was a dog's breakfast I mean Weber right yeah. great Petrie. <laughs> um they really fan this game this season he was doing fantastic uh but then the guys that got signed in the off season were i don't know who uh management thought they were getting, but these these were, shouldn't have been the defensemen that were getting all this money uh and so you know they were playing. They were playing regular minutes. Uh, a, a guy, Joseph from Jr., uh, uh, Mete was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, walking lots of minutes, which good for him. I mean, he's he's talented. He he was solid. He he to that. But the fact that he can jump in and do that so unexpectedly points to a lot of um, problems with the Canadian's defensive depth early on. Um, I don't know if they figured things out. Uh, I mean, Weber's Weber's gone now forever. Um, but it was a combination of, I, I think, a really poor, um, what. Um, not just defensive structure, but the personnel yeah. uh, were probably below where they needed to be, which was far below where management thought they were based on what they were being paid. And then Price being um, not himself and uh, apparently uh, apparently so fatigued, he, he could not handle what was being thrown at him. So we'll see. I mean, Price is, is, is now susceptible to injury. Um, he's been concussed this season. He has a history of, um, of knee problems, right? And, and so it depends. If Price is healthy going forward... Uh, I mean, I could see him rebounding nicely. If he's not, it's going to be really hard for him to maintain uh, the level of precision and power that he, he needs to to play the game he does, especially behind that team.
2: Yeah, it, it's been a disappointing season for the Habs all year. I feel bad bringing it up. Mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry we brought up the Habs. I, I know it's a, it's a sore <laughs> wound right now, but uh, we got to do it. But uh, i got to get the last thing here from me, at least, is... I got to know who your three finalists are at this point. I know things can change in the last little stretch here, but I think mm-hmm. they're they're almost pretty much set. Who do you have as the three finalists and the eventual winner for the Vesna?
3: All right, so um, I can give you two lists if you want. The first one is the person who's probably actually going to win, and the two people who are going to get the next most votes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think at this point it's Renee to lose. Yeah, um, he has an incredible record. I mean, he's lost I think like nine games. I mean, it's, it's yeah. ridiculous. Um, he has uh, you know, he's the, he's the heart and soul of that team again, in some sense, which, which almost no one expected uh, and he has a high save percentage um, easily seven shutouts, um, he has the lowest goals against average among goalies who have played enough games, uh, he is the clear favorite, he, he ticks all the boxes that GMs want um, after that, I think the second spot's going to go to Vasilevsky lots of wins, still a great, still a great save percentage, great goals against average He's the kind of goalie who can make saves. Uh, I mean, he, he made a couple of behind-the-back saves yeah. this year, right? That's
2: insane. And <laughs>
3: people remember those things, right? I mean, that those things matter a lot uh, to, to people's sort of perception after the fact. So I think he's done enough to garner a second spot. And then third, that's a bit more of a wild card, but i got to think that Connor Hellebuck is in a position to get that. Uh, he's yeah. behind a really good Jets team. He's played a lot of games. He has a lot of wins. Um, and the narrative for for Hellebuck is excellent. I mean, he went from last year struggling uh, to, to you know maybe maybe being a backup goalie this year to um, leading his team uh, and you know really forcing himself into this best goalie conversation. And the fact that he did the work himself, right, and it's been well documented how he changed and what he did. Uh, I think he's going to get a lot of credit for that. So that's my three. If you're if you're betting on this, um, those <laughs> those are the names that I, I would go with.
2: And uh, what about the your three? Uh, you said you had another list as well. the uh, yeah. three you the people, kind of believe. Yeah,
3: the people who have really, um, who maybe have, have earned it the most, uh, you know, in my opinion, and looking at the statistics that we have available, I think, um, I think Stu uh would would be at the top of that list. It's it's at least very close. So mm. Renee or. Uh, it's, uh, I think Rennie maybe still tops that list, um, Bobrovsky uh, comes second, and then right on his heels is uh, is John Gibson. Um, so I think it's one two three. Gibson um, has an excellent showing with regard to uh, you know the, his his advanced stats and his basic stats. Uh, the only thing that holds him back a, a couple of things. One thing that's holding him back is um, his uh, even strength numbers tend to take a dip. Um, whereas the, the other two, Bobrovsky and Renee's don't, um, they, they have, obviously Gibson's mm-hmm. still above average at even strength, but their numbers are a bit higher. And if you need to break a tie, uh, even strength numbers for me, um, tell you a little bit more, right. Um, yeah. they, they move, they remove the goalie from the situation somewhat. And for me, um, they look more at what you can doing outside of the, you know, that, that very difficult time on, on the, on the PK. Uh, but I, I'd have those three as my, as my top three. I think. I would certainly in, um, it's close, but I think I'd have him as my third.
1: I would love to hear him get some consideration. You know, that's that's kind of rising mm-hmm. on that. Um, to kind of just, I I thought of two, like the two parted question. It's nothing crazy, but who's a goaltender you feel in the NHL that doesn't get enough recognition? That's a young guy coming up that uh, us fans should be looking out for. Hmm,
3: a lot of young guys are getting recognition now, which is good. Um, I think that's a uh, um, it, it's it's a relatively new thing. The established that security a guy like Lundquist, right, has deserved all these accolades, and a guy like um, Lozano is still playing excellent, right, uh, uh, unexpectedly. But um, right now, I would, I would be watching uh, UC Saros in uh, Nashville. Um, he is uh, probably my favorite goalie to watch right now. He's he's five eleven, maybe, or he's five foot ten, depending on sort of what um, you know when you look at what his height was and, and uh, whether or not it's been inflated. But a really, really, really small goalie with incredible positioning uh he gets to where he needs to be so quickly um uh, you have to re-watch what he's done in order to see how he's done it um he's the epitome of a little guy who can move um but he he does that so well and with so much power that he covers as much net sometimes as the gargantuan uh Pecorine, uh when the two of them are standing next to each other uh in in practice or, or before a game it's it's hilarious because there's almost a uh, i think a 10-inch height difference between these guys uh but soros for for my money is a guy to keep your eye on he's very young and uh, he's in peck's shadow right now but he could potentially right within the next year uh if he were if he wanted a different team or if uh, if really starts to falter a little bit uh he could be a guy that could step up and just uh, just start starting right away uh, in, in my opinion
1: I mean who better to uh to take after than Pecorino? As we were talking about him he just got a 35-state shutout tonight so <laughs> Pecorino gets another one <laughs> Um yeah, then, you can't, I mean he,
3: he leads the league in shutouts right I mean, yeah. you know you can't uh, you, you can't argue with these these basic numbers
1: And then the, to to wrap up the the questions here just the the second half of that was is there any prospects maybe outside the NHL or you know does not doesn't have to necessarily be overseas but even in the in the Myers that we should be keeping an eye out for coming up uh, through wh- whatever team in the NHL.
3: Hmm. Um, I'm not a deep prospect guy, but one guy I like who I've seen uh, in the NHL, uh, I mean, albeit briefly, and um, you know have have heard an awful lot of good stuff about is Comrie uh, coming up in Winnipeg. Um, as though Winnipeg didn't have uh, enough riches and goal right now, uh, with book really coming into his own this season, uh, Comrie is, is maybe. I don't know if he's a top prospect, but he's certainly one of the top uh, young netminders who he's not ready yet to um, start on a team. Uh, but he is—he has all the tools, uh, and he, um, like Soros, only only bigger. Um, he his positional play is uh, is absolutely fantastic. He, um, you look at a guy like that, and you see the the sort of the future of uh, what goaltending will look like, technically speaking. Uh, and I know styles are different, and, and um, you know pe- people don't always have to play the game the same. But this guy is so crisp and efficient; uh, it's uh, it's remarkable. He's definitely someone that I would be, um, I'm going to be very interested to see come up over the next few years, wherever he happens to do that, whether it's in Winnipeg or whether he eventually gets moved uh, because Halibuck maintains his uh, his dominance there.
1: Well, hey, Paul, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, Eddie and I, were excited to have you on as our first guest. Um, are you working on any projects right now that you can talk about? Or are you writing anything that we can take a look out for or, or catch you? It's
3: always very hush-hush. Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 <laughs> it's all top secret. Uh, as a, a writer, because I don't, I don't advertise anything. Uh, yeah, I have something coming out. Um, it, uh It's dedicated to the art of the barrel roll. Um, so it's one of these weird... Um, interesting moves that, that Hasek really perfected, even though he wasn't the, the uh, originator. Uh, and uh, we've seen it a few times pulled out this season, and I sort of break that down and talk about how it works and uh, why it's not an accidental or, or simply uh, a desperation um, save. Uh, I'm working on some business stuff, um, so uh, you'll see something coming out, probably at an Ingle about um, who, who will and who should win. So, you know, if spoilers tonight, uh, but it'll be a bit closer to the end of the season. And the last thing is, um, well, the Ingle magazine, uh, there are a few other things, obviously. I'm writing a few things for the athletics and goalie profiles uh, about uh, the Canadian goalies. And the last thing will be also with Ingle, uh, there's an award we give out uh, uh, to the backup goalie. And so we'll be um, awarding that, uh, voting for that at the end of the season, and then uh, sort of going through the finals and doing the whole award presentation thing. So if you're interested, um, take a look at Ingle magazine in the coming. Uh, weeks and months, and you'll see um, uh, uh, something called the Bunny Award being talked about, and, uh, and that's the one we could vote for the best backup goalie. Darling got it last year, uh, and so uh, we're hoping it's not some sort of kiss of death <laughs> to, to, to receive this. Uh, we don't want people re- like refusing it, uh, so we'll, we'll hope that we'll, uh, we'll choose well this year, and that uh, whoever whoever wins it uh, will, you know, have a strong season, so that uh, no one no one feels bad about winning the award.
1: Well, hey, thanks so much for coming on. You guys heard it here first. What he's going to be uh, talking about is he said spoilers. Thanks so much, Paul, for coming on. You guys can follow him on Twitter. Go look him up. It's a at way to go Paul, And you can catch all his charts he puts up there and talks about goaltending, amongst other things. Again, Paul, we appreciate you, and we hope to have you on again.
3: All right. Well, uh, thanks for having me, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll talk again. Be in touch. All right. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, take care, guys.
2: All right. Well, we're back from the interview. I hope you guys enjoyed our interview with Paul Campbell from uh, Writer for Engle Magazine, Sportsnet, Sporting News, and The Athletic. A great conversation with Paul about Gibson, the Vesna, uh, and just goaltenders in general. It was really nice to have him on the show. Uh, and, and again, I hope you guys enjoyed it. So we've got a bunch of stuff to get through. Uh, the chat was pretty lively uh during the interview and even before that so we have some questions here we've got some questions on twitter uh on reddit uh in in the dms on forever mighty on twitter so you guys are hitting us up pretty much everywhere uh we'll wait for we'll get patrick back in here as well uh so that uh that he's ready to go too
1: I just popped back in.
2: There we go. Okay, perfect. So just so you guys know as well, uh, Patrick can't hear the interview (laughs) when it gets played. So that's why we had to to kind of wait for things there.
1: So question, if anyone could pop on the chat and let me know if their feed ended towards the end or if they got all the way through to the end because I was listening on my laptop and I can't tell if my feed died or if the the laptop messed up. So if anyone wants to pop in on the feed. And let me know if they missed any of it, or if they actually heard us like sign off on the interview. Just, I was just curious. <laughs> all
2: right. Well, let's. Uh, you want to get to the questions, or is there anything else you want to go over before we get there? Uh,
1: John Gibson for Vesna. has got my vote. Um, obviously, I vote in all the awards, so I will be putting in my name for him. I just want to throw that out there.
2: <laughs> you're uh, part of the the hockey writers. You're, you're gonna. Yeah. Be, is, uh,
1: it, is it hockey writers or is it GMs?
2: Oh, I ah, I guess it is GMs. I think Paul had brought yeah. up that it was GMs. So,
1: I'm a really good GM on NHL 18. So I think yeah, I should well, definitely have my ability. Just to you vote
2: voting. Nobody else. Your vote uh, is the deciding vote so <laughs>
1: that's yeah i like that idea I, I could i could run with that let's get to some questions man i'm let's see if we have a lot to talk about i'm, I'm game yeah. let's go for it
2: we've got a, a ton so I'm, I'm scrolling back through the chat uh i believe there's a lot of just comments about gibby saying gibby's the man hyping up gibby so i'm glad that's uh that was there uh we had the first question i believe is from chase uh back uh, earlier on in in the in the the podcast here, he said, do you think Walensky slots in next game because Holzer didn't look too great?
1: Uh, Holzer did not look good tonight. Uh, His first game up from the AHL, though, it's to be expected. I I think they even mentioned it in the broadcast that I want to say that Hayward mentioned that um, Holzer looked like he was watching his passes a little too much and getting caught, and that's just a tempo, you know. know, The speed of of the game rises up from the AHL to the NHL um but also i mean that would be the or Walensky coming in with the same issue but Wolinsky i think is better than holzer a better choice so i hope he gets slotted in i'd like to see him here towards the end of the season what about you
2: yeah i, I wouldn't mind seeing i i was actually surprised today that we saw uh lindholm and petterson together I, I did not expect that to be a pairing and of, of course it meant Boschman Bolsch, with holzer if that continues to be a thing then I, I feel like Walensky might be a better partner for Boschman And and then I, I don't see Holzer really starting every game from now. I you know They wouldn't really call up Walensky, I feel like, if they didn't expect to play him for one of these next few games. I feel like he's a logical fit to put in against that Winnipeg game. More of a, a younger guy. He's got the legs behind him more so than Holzer does. So I feel like that's a logical place to put him into the lineup. But you never know. I mean, that's a that's a tough... Tough game to put a guy into who hasn't played in the NHL in, in a decent while. So to put him in against one of the, the top elite teams in the NHL would be tough.
1: I feel like an RC um, and Murray move would be to keep whatever veterans have played before. Yeah. You know, and they maybe utilize a Walensky um, in, a, in one of the games, maybe the Vancouver game to end the road trip.
2: Yeah. Maybe it's like so. an
1: easier game to, to slot him in. But shout-out to uh, to Hampus Lindholm and Marcus Pedersen. They had the uh, the best of the fancy stats for the Ducks' uh, d pairings tonight. It was not Cam Fowler and Brandon Montour. So to a, uh, a much surprised um, eye for me, I just
2: did not expect them to perform that well. I think the, what kind of goes into that is looking at who Fowler and Montour played against for most of the game, they got the, the big share of minutes against the Goodrell line, against the Backland line. So I think that plays oh, come a bit into it. But I don't want to shut you down completely, but uh, <laughs> you know if Manson is in this game, um, Manson and Lindholm are getting about half of those minutes against those top two lines. and Not sure. to say they sheltered Pedersen a bit, but I feel like uh, they tried to get them away from that lineup and, and gave a lot of the responsibility to Montour and Fowler. I can live with that. Um let's, let's move on. Uh, we have Matt who asked a question. Now this is recent Ducks news. Um, he said, can you guys talk a little bit about Kiefer Sherwood and what's going to what he's going to bring to the Ducks and if he has a chance to make the big club in the next year or two. I'll take this one off the bat because I, I did a little bit of research into him when he was signed. And it's very difficult to find a lot of prospect updates or prospect profiles, especially on a guy – who was undrafted and is a 22-year-old coming out, of, out of, uh, of the NCAA. So I didn't find a ton on him. I, I, what I had found is he was being pursued by about six or seven other teams. Uh, the Ducks have had interest in him since last year when he'd actually decided to, to go back for another year uh, in the NCAA rather than coming out and signing a contract then. Um, does, I didn't really get too much information on the type of player he is. It uh, looks like he's a left winger with a right hand shot, so he's, he's playing on the offside. Um, he's got about 86 points in 106 career NCAA games, so he's a decent scorer at that level. But I don't know how that's going to translate to the, the NHL. He can't really come up with the Ducks this year because he signed an ATO with the san diego goals which means he'll most likely be there for the rest of the season in playoffs unless the ducks call him up on an emergency basis which i don't see happening uh if he was gonna make the big club i like matt said i feel like it'd be in the in the next couple of years i you know i would expect him to get a full pro season under his belt next year in san diego and really see what he can do if he impresses there then maybe he gets a shot with the ducks
1: let him over-ripen down in that system with Dels Akins. You know, yeah. the Ducks, you got a great system down there. I, I don't really see the need to pull him up into uh, the NHL at all. And I don't think that's what he was asking us. But I'm not a huge prospects guy, as I've said before. So I'm glad that uh, you went in and peeked at his stats and a little bit about him. But, yeah, I, I would I would agree. He's, he's just going to stay down with the goals
2: just based it's off just, his ATO. Yeah, it's just kind of nice, though, to have a guy – who's pursued by teams like Vegas and Boston and Pittsburgh and Montreal to pick the Ducks over some of those teams. I, I think that's always nice for a lot of fans to see. Got the best weather out of all those cities. Yeah. so Maybe. <laughs> I feel like that always has to play some kind of role. I mean, players will say it doesn't, but I feel like when you're you taking into consideration where you want to play, the weather has to play some, maybe not a big role, but it has to play some role in it.
1: Weather and things to do.
2: Uh, let's uh, let's move on to the next question because we have a ton, and I don't want to run over it like we did last time, <laughs> over too far over an hour. So we had Connor here who asked, why are the Ducks reluctant to call up Jakob Larson? Uh, I'll let you take this one, and then and I have some things to say about it as well.
1: That's a great question. It really is. Uh, highly touted prospect uh, was supposedly loved by uh, Randy Carlisle. Um, And, you know, Bob Murray's really big on his defensemen, his young guys coming up through the pipeline. And we thought we would see him, and we haven't. We've seen everybody over him. We've seen Jacob Megna. We've seen Andy Lewinsky coming up. Or Walensky, I keep saying Lewinsky. Walensky come up. um, Marcus Pedersen. And it's just, I don't know why they haven't brought him up. Um, It's strange to me. I would have thought he would have been the guy to be called up at some point over a guy like Marcus Patterson, but that's not the case. I, I don't know. Is this something that maybe the Ducks just don't see his development at, the, uh, at this juncture worthy of being pulled into an NHL game? I mean, maybe because yeah. they're in the middle of a playoff race and they were looking to trade Marcus Patterson, so they were you know showing him off. And now, look, he's, he's able to slot in with the Ducks' decor pretty nicely here and play some games. And, you know, obviously he's been shown to be trustworthy. So maybe they're not going to look up, look to bring up a guy who hasn't seen NHL ice this year at this point.
2: Yeah, that's the thing I hope. I hope that it has nothing to do with you. Maybe they're just not impressed with what they've seen from him. I'm hoping it's more that they just want him to, to kind of stay consistent with his play in San Diego. Let him season a bit more down in the AHL and then when guys like Boschman and most likely Bieksa, whether he comes back on a one-year deal or not, are not with the team next year, he can get a better shot right out of training camp, right at the start of the season and work his way into the lineup. That's what I hope. It doesn't look good, though, when you have a guy who's supposed to be your top prospect on the on the blue line and he doesn't get any call-ups. I mean, you look at the last two guys to fill that role. Shea Theodore was playing in the AHL for a while. And then about mid-season, in the first season, he really started getting call-ups. He came up, made a difference, and stuck with the team. The next year, it was Brandon Montour, who did the same thing, came up from San Diego, made a difference, stuck with the team. Larson really hasn't been given that chance, which is is definitely worrying. Uh, But I'm I'm not going to write him off yet because I want to see him get another shot in the NHL. We've seen a very limited sample size of what he can do. And I think we don't see him this year – but seeing him at the beginning of next year and, and seeing if he can stick with his team, I think will give us a better idea of what he can do with his team. Yep, I agree with that.
1: Uh, Definitely going to look at him
2: in training camp. For sure, yeah. Because I, th- I still think he has a lot to give. Uh, looking at the question by Dusty, just asked it uh, after, oh, quick update. Everybody, th- their feet didn't die. So we had a couple of people say that they didn't miss anything, so it was just you. Who oh, <laughs> cool. Died. Just so, just the
1: co-host missed the, yeah. the uh, interview. That's
2: good. <laughs> well, you've heard it three <laughs> three or four times now, so don't worry about it. Easily. Yeah, I know. Uh, so Dusty said, uh, would the Ducks have a better chance? Uh, who would they have a better chance against in the first round? Uh, the Sharks, who have been hot since getting Kane, or the Knights, who have been sort of slumping lately? Huh. Yeah. That's a tough one because we kind of talked about this in the last show and we, we couldn't really decide either. Um, honestly,
1: I I would have to go with the Sharks still. Yeah, I would still have to go with the Sharks. I I don't. I think the Ducks just stylistically those games have been close all season. If the Ducks can kick into the gear the way they played the team, uh, when the, the way they played the New Jersey Devils team and not how they played tonight, even though they got the win, then they they can beat almost anybody. I feel like when they play that type of game, they just dominated that Devils game. And they've shown that they can do that against the Sharks. Um, Vegas, I, st- I still feel, I mean, everyone has those streaks of losing and streaks of winning, and Vegas is just having a slump. I-, I wouldn't write them off. I mean, everyone's been writing them off all year, and they've come back and shown that they're a really good team. Um, but then again, the naysayers might be saying, told you so, told you so, told you so. They're not real. They're not, yeah. Everyone's figuring them out. I would still take the Sharks.
2: Yeah, that's not a team I want to face in the first round because I feel like you—you you know the first round of any round is where you can continue that momentum from the regular season uh, and make a push and, and keep going. Do you have any idea
1: how loud T-Mobile Arena is going to be?
2: Yeah, exactly. How I mean, crazy that place is going to be but, this year? But it could be. Like Winnipeg, when the Ducks went into Winnipeg. And, and of course, it's a different situation. Winnipeg wasn't a top team at the time when Anaheim went there, but it was an insane atmosphere. They had the whiteout. It was probably one of the craziest atmospheres I've seen in an arena in the playoffs, and the Ducks swept them. And, and, Andre Pavlik. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so it's, it's different, <laughs> of course. But I think that plays a role, and, and they're going to be right behind that team through the first round. I think that's a huge boost. I don't want to deal with that. I would pick San Jose even though the Sharks have won 5 games in a row like Dusty had said. I still think they match up better with San Jose. I'm still not 100% sold on the goaltending with the Sharks, whether it be Martin Jones or Aaron Dell. I don't even think they know necessarily who's going to be their guy that they're going to go to. You would assume it's Martin Jones, but you just don't know. And that so blue line. Well. Yeah. And that that blue line as well. I'm not 100% sold on the Sharks blue line because they've got Paul Martin who just they just called up he's played what five games this season. Uh, they have Dylan DeMello and Brendan Dillon on the bottom pairing, which isn't great. But Who? Yeah. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you've, got, you've got Brent Burns, though. So when you've got Brent yep. Burns back there, uh, you can make anything happen. And that top nine is one of the better in the Western Conference, especially adding Evander Kane to that lineup. So they're scary, but I would rather face them uh, than the Knights. And I, I feel like a lot of people agree with that as well. Um, let's see. Let's keep moving down here. We had a couple... Just comments more than anything. Matt saying Gibson for the Vesna or Gibson yes. to pull a jiggy and get the con Smythe. That would, I mean, I wouldn't put it past me. If if the Ducks get to the Stanley Cup final, it's probably going to be on the back of John Gibson. It, it has to be. That's why they. That's why they. They are where they are right now in the regular season is because of John Gibson. I'd uh, agree with that one. Uh, Chase saying Montour just keeps impressing him, especially when he plays with Fowler. I think that's kind of a sentiment that a lot of people agree with. I I saw that all over Twitter today. Even though the underlying stats show they didn't have a great game, I still think that pairing has been excellent for the Ducks lately. Uh, Chase...
1: Yeah, I'd like to look at the shot quality. I mean, I know we don't need to go deep diving on that right now, but I wonder... There was a high volume of shots Mm -hmm. and shot
2: attempts, but I mean, Calgary, like
1: I said, just didn't look dangerous.
2: Yeah, and the Chase was also agreeing with us, saying I think Larson can come up next year and slot in on the third pairing left side. I think that's what we all hope. I mean, I saw a uh, a little bit of a post in the chat to, today talking about how Larson could play with Manson next year, maybe Pedersen and Lindholm, and then Fowler and Montour. That would be great. That would be a great young top six. I would love to see that uh, on the back end. Uh, but that does it for the chat. I mean, you guys can continue to ask questions until we finish here, but I'm, we're going to move on and look at some of the other questions we have on Reddit and uh, on Twitter as well. So we're going to go to Reddit real quick so I can get that out of the way. We had two questions. Uh, turnaround08 on Reddit said, i am am I just not a big Holzer fan, or was that a really rough game for him tonight?
1: Yeah, it was a rough game, 100%. That's yeah. where the, the uh, Andy Walensky talk has come on the show. I mean, I would have to agree. And it's it's a fast man's game. And, and Holzer just doesn't really fit the mold right now.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a bad game for for pretty much everybody in the shot attempts-wise for the Ducks, other than uh, Pedersen and Lindholm. Everybody else was below 50%. Holzer was the third worst at 21.7, just above Montour and Fowler. And, you know, the eye test didn't fail either. He he just didn't look that great tonight. Uh, Made a, a couple sloppy plays. But, again, they didn't lead to goals, so I can't directly say it was he was just awful, but he didn't impress. And I would like to see Walensky, because I think he brings in a little bit of a different essence than, than what Holzer can provide. Um, CS all fairness Graffi, to
1: Holzer's first game, so maybe yes. I should give him a break till next, if he, if he slots in on uh,
2: Friday. But we kind of know what we're going to get from him. I, I mean, True. at this point, you know what he's going to bring to the lineup. We've seen him enough. I feel like Andy Walensky, maybe not much of an upgrade, but at least can bring a little bit more mobility to that back end. I agree with that. Uh, CSO Graffy on Reddit. So the last question on Reddit. He said, it seems that Cogs has found a scoring touch. Is it just the beginning of an explosion of points for him?
1: I, I was looking at his point totals the past several games. He hasn't had a ton. I mean, he, he scored against Columbus. Yes. And I think this is the goal after that. So he hasn't necessarily been on fire. Playing better, yes. Yes. He's getting opportunity, but uh, I hope so. We all hope that he can start chipping in more goals. Uh, it was a beauty of a shorthanded goal for him tonight. Um, I, I wouldn't say that uh, we're going to see a ton of points out of him just yet. I want to see more consistency from him, but hopefully it's a sign of good things to come.
2: Yeah. So looking at the last few games, this is his second point and his first goal in this last in the last six games. So he's not necessarily lighting up the score sheet, but like you said, he's getting his chances. Uh, we mentioned it earlier when we we're talking about a shorthanded goal that. I feel like we at least see some kind of effort shorthanded from him every time the Ducks get a penalty kill. So it's great to see him producing, uh, but he's still not putting the points on the board. So I don't think we're going to see an explosion of points as it was put uh, anytime soon. Now we'll move over to Twitter. A couple questions here. Uh, Jacob hit us up in the DMs with a couple questions. Uh, we'd mentioned this already, but I'll bring it up because I, I don't want to leave any questions out. He said, any chance we see Walensky and Pedersen together down the stretch? Let's hope
1: so. Why not get a look? I mean, that yeah. third pair, if, you, if they're playing easy deploying easy deployment minutes, if you shelter them a bit, they don't really move the needle up or down too often. So I wouldn't mind seeing them together a little, if, they, you know, if Carlisle can really bring the minutes down on that third pair. But uh, he does like his veterans, so yeah. I, I don't think we'll see it. But it would be nice to see just a little bit of it.
2: That means you probably see Lindholm and Boschman together, though. That's uh, oh, poor the negative. Lindy. Yeah, yeah. So He always gets the uh, the spare parts when the uh, guys are out of the lineup. So hopefully Josh Manson is back in the lineup sometime soon so we don't have to worry about that. Absolutely. Uh, Jake also had another question. I hear this on another show. He said, should Raquel be considered an elite first-line forward? This is something we talked about, I think, on the first or second show where we were talking about Raquel and and where he can get to. Um, I'm guessing the question is referring to at this point in time. So do you think he should be considered an elite first line forward?
1: No, I believe he's that second tier. Yeah. Um, and maybe like on the lower end of the second tier, not to take anything away from him, but uh, you got to remember he, he plays with Ryan Getzloff and yeah. Getzloff creates everything on this Ducks team offensively uh, for the forward group. And anybody who plays with him, Um, or for the most part plays with him, is going to produce. And that's just, I mean, you you can see when he gets the puck, he slows the game down. You know, when we talked about him a bunch on our other shows about just how magnificent of a player he is and a playmaker he is, you got to imagine that Raquel, yes, he's getting um, these snipes off and he's making plays, not to try to take anything away from him, but uh, gets lost the elite center and he's definitely helping out Raquel's game.
2: Yeah, and, and it's all what you put into the word elite as well and what who you categorize as elite. In my opinion, that's that's reserved for a few players in the National Hockey League. I mean, this season you would have to say that Nathan McKinnon is an elite player, Nikita Kucherov, Gennie Malkin, Connor McDavid are elite players. And then from there, I think, I mean, Ovechkin, an elite goal scorer for sure, Patrick Line an elite goal scorer. And then I think it dips down to a, to that second tier where you've got you know Claude Giroux having a great season, Steven Stamkos, Kessel, Kopitar, Goodrow. I think they're in that second tier, not necessarily elite, but definitely first line forwards. And then I think that tier underneath that is where Raquel falls, and that's not a bad tier. That's still a first line forward, but uh, elite is is a hard word to throw around. I think it it means something different to everybody depending on who you ask. And Matt puts it good here. He says, Raquel's an all-star, but elite is a strong word. And I think most people agree that it's reserved for only the top, top players in the National Hockey League. He's the best
1: winger on the Ducks.
2: I'll give him that. He's, yeah. he's a hell of a player. For sure. All right, so let's uh, we're, we're wrapping it up here. We've got a couple more questions on Twitter. So I'll go out and I'll grab this one from our live post. We had Sammy. Saying he thought this game would be a, a bit more physical on the Ducks' side, Flames threw uh, some good hits, but not really a response from the Ducks. Kind of feel like the Ducks knew they were above retaliation tonight and just focused on the win.
1: I was happy with it, um, as much as as uh, I was happy with them being focused on the win. I uh, I was happy they didn't get goaded into penalties and all, but that game was boring. I <laughs> I don't I think I've said it like four times already tonight. I was happy with the win, but that it was just—it was hard to watch. I—I I, I guess they didn't want to get engage, engaged in any of the nonsense, and but I mean, Calgary didn't really try more than just a couple of times. I think Tanner Glass threw a couple of hits on Derek Grant, and they made him mention that he hit the glass pretty hard. But it was really just a mellow game.
2: Yeah, and we we expected it to be physical. I mean, this was a game we pegged along with the LA game as one that was going to be a feisty, nasty game. I think we had coined that after the game against Detroit because we're saying, well, if this is a nasty game, then look at the history the Ducks have had with Calgary and with L.A., and those are going to be two nasty games. I still think the L.A. one is because it always is, but I was surprised at how tame this game really was. Yeah,
1: let's hope that's not the same on Wednesday or Friday,
2: rather. I want to see
1: a nice fast-paced game played by the Ducks. Uh, to get them ready. You know, they need to start getting in that mode full-time rather than just a game here and a game there. We love the win, but uh, let's let's show some more intensity in this.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think we already answered this, but I'll, I'll ask it as well. Uh, SEC SPN on Twitter said, if given the choice, would we rather get the third seed in the Pacific or the first wild card and play Vegas? So we, we did answer it because we already talked about who would you rather play with San Jose, and Vegas, but I think we can expand on it and add that second last, like the last uh, wild card spot as well, and, and throw Nashville into the mix. Uh, no, for the Ducks. Do you do, do you want to get into that third uh, Pacific spot, or do you do you want to risk it and, and fall into the wild card?
1: Playing Nashville, Winnipeg, or Vegas is just a big no, and yeah. I don't want to play them at all in the first round. Those buildings are going to be just ballistic. And I feel like they're not good matchups for Anaheim in the first round. Let them get their playoff legs under them before we throw them in with the top-tier teams. I'd rather face the, albeit less, slightly less, slightly less
2: scary San Jose Sharks than face one of those teams. I think the only argument there uh, that I've, I've heard some people is saying, don't you want to get the best teams out of the way right off the bat? normally I could agree with that but I think in this case if you play Nashville first round you're most likely playing Winnipeg in the second round and then maybe Vegas in the third round so that's the, the most difficult route you could take to get there and, and at least if you get into the Pacific Division you're playing Sharks then Vegas and then maybe one of those Nashville or Winnipeg after they've, they've beat each other up in the central race so normally I would maybe agree with that side but there's no way I want to go through Nashville and Winnipeg in, in the first two rounds
1: yeah, the only time it's okay to play this top seeded teams is when your team's rolling and the Ducks yes. are not rolling. They're winning, but they're not rolling through teams.
2: Yeah, and and you know it, it's great that they've won four in a row for sure. But you got to look at the teams they're beating. They're beating a Flames team. I think this is their fourth loss in a row. They beat uh, Vancouver. They beat now the 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 Devils as well. So they haven't really rolled through some teams. Detroit was the the fourth team that I was forgetting there. So. They're not necessarily great teams. This game coming up against Winnipeg, which we'll briefly break down now, I think is going to be the toughest test of the bunch. Winnipeg is a very scary team. I don't know, I think the big thing is if Patrick Line is going to be available for that game. He left the the game against the Kings injured after blocking a shot. So that is a, a huge advantage, unfortunately, on Patrick Line's case, but a big advantage for the Ducks if he's not in the lineup. I mean, I hate
1: to be a pessimist, but we pegged this game as being the toughest of this trip. And I, I don't feel that uh, the Ducks have increased their chances all that much by the removal of Patrick Line, possibly from that lineup. I still feel like this team is really good. And Mark Shifley's really good. Dustin Bufflin's really good. Connor Hellebuck and Ned is also really good. Uh, did Jacob Truba come back? He took a, an awful hit by Jamie Benn.
2: I yeah, remember I believe that. he's back, yeah.
1: He's back. He's, he tried to stand up in front of Jamie Benn and got hit by a Mack truck, um, but I guess he's back, so he's also a great player on that team. Uh, Nikolai Ehlers is a great player on that team. There's just so many names you could throw out there that are having a great season uh, for the Jets. I mean Of course, the loss of Line is, uh, is a big deal, and hopefully it's not long term for them because he's a great player, but um, it, that slightly moves the needle towards Anaheim, but this is an uphill battle for the Ducks in Winnipeg. I, I'm, I'm really hoping that they bring their A game. They're really going to need it.
2: Yeah, the, for sure. I, I mean, line A right now, he's listed as a lower body injury day-to-day. Uh, the Ducks have the one day off before they go and they face Winnipeg. So, it, I mean, he realistically could be back for that game. And like you said, just the the weapons they have in this lineup all over with Ehlers, with Shifley, with Wheeler, who's leading the National Hockey League in assists. I forgot and him, the, yep. The guy that is kind of come out of nowhere and put himself maybe not in the Calder discussion, but at least in the top rookies this season, is Kyle Connor lit up the Jets for two goals and the game winner in overtime uh, the other day, which was great for us. I mean, sorry, he lit up the Kings Sorry, in, in that game, which was great for the Ducks. Now, with the win tonight, the Ducks move up a point in front of the Kings because of that Jets win, and he sits on 27 goals on the season for his, his wow. rookie year. So, a great effort from him. Jets are going to be a scary team. Definitely the toughest test of this road trip. Toughest test in a while, really, since the Ducks played Nashville. So I'm excited for the game, but I'm nervous because this is really a measuring stick type of game. And if they get completely battered by Winnipeg, uh, that's going to be very, very disappointing. Let's hope not.
1: <laughs> you know Gibby's going to be in net. Uh, hopefully Josh Manson will make a surprise return. We haven't heard any updates. I haven't read any updates uh, other than he's day-to-day. So as long as that doesn't change, and that's all good news, but uh, hopefully if, it, if they can get him back in the lineup here, uh, that would help them out immensely on defense against this really speedy Winnipeg team. Yes, they beat them in Anaheim, um, but, I mean, shoot, this Winnipeg team is rolling, and uh, the Ducks better come prepared on Friday. So, Eddie, do we got any other uh, news to cover right now, or do you, you kind of want to wrap
2: I think we're good. I mean, we're pushing an hour 15 now, and we always seem to somehow make it longer than we expected. But uh, we've answered all the questions. We got through the interview. Um, I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Uh, Patrick, if you want to give them a rundown of where they can find us in, in case some people are listening to this the next day.
1: Absolutely. So you guys can tune in and find us on Spreaker. We are live after every Ducks game. Uh, We've only missed one right after the game, so go to Spreaker.com, look up Forever Mighty Post Game Show, always look on iTunes or Google Play, hit subscribe, hit like, uh, give us a five-star rating and a review, we'll love you guys forever for that, and please, as always, hop into our chat, it's been fun uh, getting the feedback in there, reading the comments, and people constantly sending us questions, we like that too, and don't forget about our Forever Mighty three-star leaderboard that Eddie works hard on every night to uh, adjust who's winning. We have uh, a prize coming at the end of this month to the leader for the uh, the month. So if you guys need to find that, go to Forever Mighty on Twitter. Check us out and uh, stay tuned. We put them up roughly 30 to 45 minutes uh, prior yeah. to the game.
2: Except for to today uh, because I mistaken, mistakenly thought that the game was a 10 p.m. start my time. Uh, okay. And I was sitting on my couch and then I got a couple messages from some people who are participating saying... Uh, where's the post? Where's the post, bud? It's supposed to be up 15, uh, 45 minutes before the game, and uh, the game's starting in 15 minutes, so I threw it up. But, of course, all of you have been great. Uh, we've got almost, I think, a record response. We had about 38 people responding. Holy crap. This one, so you guys didn't really seem to mind that it was a late one, so thanks for everybody who's participated in that. Like Patrick said, we do have uh, a prize at the end of the month, and hopefully... We can continue it into April if the Ducks make the playoffs. We can have the last four games of the season, plus uh, the, the I mean, hopefully a long run in the playoffs all included in the second month where we'll have a prize for that one as well.
1: So, yeah, you guys know where to find us. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. And like I said, if you guys have 30 seconds, it'd be awesome. If you guys hit on iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, that really helps get the show known and, and uh, boost us up the ratings when people, when people search for us. And uh, we'll talk to you guys on a Friday night. Have a great rest of your week talk to you then